Hello and welcome to the Agilisys podcast, our series of interviews with public sector partners and topic experts from within our business about the technology being used to transform public services. I'm Austin Clark, your host for this latest episode, and I'm delighted to be joined by a trio of robotic process automation experts from Agilisys to talk about the successful automation of processes involved with maintaining the NHS electronic staff record and the work that we've been doing with NHS BSA on the ESR. Joining me remotely are Simon Watkins, our Head of Delivery for RPA in AI, Harsh Gandhi, Senior RPA Business Analyst, and Ian Brown, RPA Developer. All three were involved in the successful delivery of RPA for ESR, which was discussed from the partner's perspective in episode six of the Agilisys podcast. In this discussion, we'll be focusing on the Agilisys team and the Agile delivery methodology that ensured a smooth, effective and fast implementation of the technology. Welcome, guys, and thanks for talking to us today. So, Simon, let's start with you. Can you please provide an overview for us of the, the RPA project Agilisys delivered to automate the electronic staff record processes? Yes, yeah, so NHS BSA contacted us to do a proof of concept um, to automate transactions or see if we could automate transactions within ESR or the electronic staff record system. The ESR system um, that they use effectively stores all HR records for every employee and contractor within the NHS. So it's went over 1 million records and each role that every person has within the NHS and each role they perform. And it's used for payroll purposes, training purposes, etc. So NHS BSA currently manage that system. And effectively what they do is they have to, they offer a service to other trusts within the NHS to upload and add roles, update roles, end roles and suppress P45s for particular individuals. Um, and that process is a, a monitored or attended import process that they currently do. So it can only be done during a work and during working hours and also obviously impacts the staff within NHS BSA and takes their time away. So they, they wanted to see if RPA would be a good fit to automate the process and allow 24-7 operations and 24-7 processing to speed up the processing of transactions and also enable them to offer the service to more parts of the NHS moving forward. So, Harsh, bringing you in on, on this next question, uh, how did you work with NHS BSA to, to both identify uh, ESR as a suitable process to automate and, and kind of work out what the, the, the best, most favourable discovery process would be? Well, um, there were a few potential candidates for RPA, um, which uh, NHS BSA had come forward with. As part of the RPA team, it was our responsibility in Agilisys to ensure uh, if the proposed processes uh, were a good fit uh, for automation or not. Now, coming down specifically to uh, the electronic staff record process, uh, when I sat down for discovery with the subject matter experts uh, to understand uh, the processes and determine if they were a good fit or not, uh, you know, th there are a lot of factors that we usually look into as an RPA team. Just to give you a few examples, you know, how easy it is to establish a connection to their applications, um, if they have any test systems for uh, their applications where, where we can build our automation on, what do their processes look like? Um, are they repetitive, structured, uh, does not have ambiguous rules in them? 
and most importantly you know during the discovery phase we we also want to understand if you are implementing rpa on on these processes would it provide them uh, benefits both financial and non financial and and trust me with the esr processes all this uh, check the right boxes so you know this gave us a good platform and cushion uh, to decide that okay this this is a good candidate for us to go ahead with automation excellent and, and kind of building on that taking it to the the next stage what approach did did agilisys take uh, in order to to get this uh, process moving this project moving rather uh, and and kind of what advice would you share with other organizations looking to to move projects forward we we had two choices really you know look at the process end to end documented end to end as as one big process uh, prepare a 200 page document with uh, 500 steps in it and then you know send it back to the smes to review uh, uh, that big document and you know the smes would spend a few weeks to you know come back with changes come back with feedback and then i have to go back to the drawing board and make those changes and you know a lot of back back and forth would have happened um, you know if if we followed this approach uh, usually you know in in uh, it it's called the waterfall approach where one big process is picked documented and you know built uh, with esr i was able to see an opportunity to decompose this big process into smaller chunks and you know deliver it continuously uh, or as you want to call it iterative delivery so i used that opportunity and we adopted the agile approach of delivery uh, broke the big process into multiple smaller chunks uh, of course with logical starting and ending points and you know with with these logical and starting and ending points uh, we were also able to create smaller documentations so you know if if we had followed the traditional approach uh, we would have ended up with a 200 page document but just because we broke it down into smaller chunks and decomposed the processes into smaller bits and pieces we were able to prepare um, five small documents uh, of 30 pages each uh, and you know that allowed us to uh, deliver each smaller process continuously and deliver it faster back to the client so that we we don't have to wait for weeks and weeks together Uh, to complete the end-to-end process and add value uh, to the client processes. That's if interesting. Can add to that. Um, one of the benefits of breaking mean, it's always best to try and break a larger process into its smaller components. As Harsh previously mentioned, you know, it breaks it down and gives a more agile delivery approach. But also, from a UAT perspective, the UAT is faster. The design document is significantly smaller, so allows you to sign off quicker. changes that are needed are only needed in a smaller piece of code but also you know it allows you to realize your benefits faster because you can go live with different pieces of the process and automate different pieces of the process and get your benefits faster because you don't have to go live in a big bang approach you can basically improve the performance of the process and in the automation of the process on a step by step basis and increase your benefits that way so you get your benefit realization a lot faster in that kind of delivery Excellent. Thanks Simon for for that. And Ian, if I can bring you in on, on this as well. And is there anything you would like to add about this kind of agile delivery method and, and breaking everything down in, into component parts? Yeah, of course. I mean from a development perspective, I think the way Harsh done it and broke it down um in a more manageable chunks. It just allowed multiple developers or in this case two developers to work on the same overall project. So I think if it had been just one huge process, 
it would have been difficult for the two developers to work on it in kind of unison without tripping each other up and getting in each other's way. So I think using this method, it allowed one developer to fo focus on one independent process while the other one worked on a different one. Um, I think as Harsh said, it just made the requirements clearer as well. So it's quite daunting looking at a 500 page PDD um, as a developer. But you know, when you've just got kind of five smaller PDDs, everything just seems a lot clearer and you can just focus on that little part of the code. Um, and I think again, as Simon touched on, it, it gradually builds up the client's confidence because I think a lot of new clients are quite nervous about RPA. So doing it this way allowed us to go live with the simplest process first. Uh, we ramped that up and ran some volume through it. And then when we kind of ticked the boxes from that, we could go, we could run the next process and the next process. So it was nice for the client just to see us ramp up that way. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more with, with that. And from what you're saying there, it appears that, that kind of this agile kind of component-based delivery is, is beneficial to both the, the external client, the partner, and also our internal teams within Agilisys. And is that a methodology that, that you've built up over, over the years of doing this? Uh, from kind of working with uh, Aberdeen Council is a good example uh, where we've been kind of busy uh, on, on RPA projects and kind of is it fair to say say that it, it comes from experience and knowing the sector? Yeah, I think from a from a delivery perspective, the experience we've had with our customers um, is that breaking it down into smaller pieces is a lot easier for them. Because I think one of the one of the, the issues from a design perspective, if the process definition document or PDD is too large, when you go through the, the walkthrough of that document, for them to pick that up and understand exactly what we've documented and does it match the process they do, if it's too big, things get missed a lot easier. And that it, it increases the number of change requests or changes we have to do at the end of the development when we're showing them. Um, or walking through the, pro the process at the end of, of the development cycle. So over time, and the more processes we've, we've implemented, we've identified that the breaking down everything into the smallest automation piece that we can do, the logical automation piece that we can do, is a much more effective way of getting things live faster and also making the process itself a lot more stable because depending on what changes in the, the underlying application, we don't necessarily have to open up the uh, huge large process where things can break further down the line and allows also allows us to create more reusable objects for potentially other processes so for example we have other trusts that are interested in the automation we've done for ESR and but not all of them want every part of it some of them just want the update piece or some of them just want the add piece if it was one large process, we wouldn't be able to provide that. But now we have the potential of being able to provide different pieces of that to other trusts and share the technology amongst the other areas of the NHS. Interesting. And kind of, Ian, if I can bring you back in uh, on this kind of part of the discussion, it would be great. And one of the things you've touched on there is that by having this agile methodology, you, you can kind of shapeshift almost kind of the work that you're doing. Uh, and, and that helps you overcome difficulties. Uh, the work that you did on the, the electronic staff record, uh, kind of from a development perspective, did you come across any difficulties and, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I mean, there were a few challenges uh, during the development and also kind of post-production, which, which I can touch on. I think when we first done the technical application assessment, uh, we realised quickly that the target application, ASR, was heavily written in JavaScript, which typically causes issues when you try to use kind of traditional out-of-the-box blue prism spying techniques. Um, so the application was very slow to respond 
to the extent where if we if we'd used the traditional blue prism techniques, it would have took five times longer than it currently does. Um, so to kind of combat this speed issue, we had to use a more technically difficult approach called surface automation. Um, so what we do is we get the bot to kind of look for images in ASR, and then we send kind of low-level key clicks and keystrokes from the keyboard to the application. So this sped up the process, but what it meant is from a development perspective, we had to build lots of extra validation um, into the processes to ensure uh, the, the solution was robust. So I'll give you an example. Um, when, when we're sending uh, tab keystrokes kind of blindly to the application, we had to ensure that after sending each combination of tabs, the cursor was in the correct place in the system before moving on. Because if, for example, one of the text entry boxes the bot wanted to tab into was grayed out on a case, the system would tab straight over that and the cursor would be in the wrong place and send text um, in the wrong text box in the application. So what we had to do is at the end of each kind of stage of the process, we had to take an image to make sure the bot was where it should have been. So that, that did add some time to the development, but it just meant that when we went live, it just worked. Um, and it worked in, it, you know, the, the speed was a lot quicker than it would have been. Um, so sometimes you've got to use different techniques using Blue Prism. I think the biggest challenge for me, and I touched on it just a little bit earlier, was after the go live. So I think the dream for most automations is for the bot to be given an input file, which is kind of auto-generated from a database or a SQL server, um, where the data is just consistent. With the ASR processes, the files were, for want of a better word, hand-cranked by trust users. So when we started running lots and lots of volume through the process, we found a few of the files where there was issues with uh, data. So, you know, there might have been certain rows and certain columns in the input file where things were slightly misspelled. Um, so there was one occasion where we actually loaded uh, about 4,000 records into the Blue Prism database. And then when the robot came to put the data into ASR, it just didn't work because of a misspelling. So I think, I think the lessons learned from that is, is in the test phase, we'll probably need to run more records. And we'll probably try and we need to throw more at the robot and actually, you know, try to break the robot in the test phase, as opposed to going live and then things falling over in, in the production environment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I guess because you're working on kind of on chunks of the overall project, it's easier to to do that testing, easier to to kind of find exceptions, etc. Uh, and kind of if that's the case. Do you then further build confidence with the organization, with, with the partner uh, throughout the, the build? Yeah, I mean, I mean, because we were working in an agile method and putting just little bits of code live at a time, it was quite, it was easier to just tweak stuff in that kind of isolated part of the process. Um, I think what it also highlighted for me is, is the need for a human to be involved when you put these processes live. Um, so I think someone, you know, there's, there's a misconception with RPA that you just switch it on put it live and then it just runs. But you do need someone there overseeing it because in the example I've just given, if, if, if I hadn't been there watching um, the robots, it would have incorrectly processed 4,000 records. As it happens, I kind of saw when I was watching what we call our control room, I saw there was lots of exceptions in a row and we stopped the process. So I think that's a good learning from this. You, you do need a human involved in the loop at all stages. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess that that touches on, on kind of another question I've got, which is, around the kind of culture uh, within an organization and, and kind of making sure that, that people are on board with, with what you're automating and, and see the benefits uh, of, of having the, the mundane tasks taken away from them. Uh, is that something that, that you build into your, your kind of agile methodology, Simon? Yes, so I mean, with, with NHS BSA, um, we've been working with them for quite a while now. 
we've held a number of RPA awareness workshops or sessions. Pre-COVID, they were on site. Um, I now run them remotely um, through Teams. And effectively what it does, those sessions teach people what RPA is, what it's not, what the benefits are, what good use cases are, what situations it's not good a good fit for. So it gives them a high level overview of what RPA is. And then as part of the, the implementation process we normally go through for any of our clients, um, and this has been, again, from experience, we normally sit down and do what we call a high-level analysis of a process to identify a process's suitability for automation in the first place and what may or may not need to change. With NHSBSA, um, the output of that, which is effectively, yes, we can automate, these are the potential benefits because we get um, transaction volumes and transaction processing times to identify what the potential benefit would be in processing hours or FTE or value, et cetera, and try and highlight some of the other benefits. It's then a decision as to whether or not it goes into full development or not. With NHSBSA, it goes to a ratification board as part of their center of excellence we're setting up for them. And again, part of that is once, once it's gone through the design, the BAs uh, like Harsh would then go through and do the, the deep dive. That information is then put together in a process definition document, again, which they sign off. And we walk them through that process definition document. So at all stages, right up to even before doing any development, they're fully involved in the process. And we get their agreement in every part of the process before we move to the next stage. Once development is, is completed, again, there is a walkthrough, a show and tell effectively. Um, and then a sign off into UAT. The client um, is always heavily involved in UAT as you expect they would be. And effectively we run a number of cases through and get them to check the results. Once they're happy that UAT has passed all the scenarios that they've provided for us, UAT is signed off. But we don't just then switch it on and go off you go and run with it. We do what we call a control go live, which is where in a live production environment, and this is touching back to what Ian said, where we, we have people involved, they would feed us a number of transactions. It might just be one or two transactions to start off with because we're working with a production environment. We feed, we run those through the virtual platform and the RPA process, and then get them through the customer to check the results of that. Once they're happy with those two have gone through, we'll then maybe double it to four and then double it to eight. So we're not just kind of doing a big bang approach and they suddenly get 200 transactions that fail. We can pick these failures up quickly. If there is anything different between test and production, which can happen, test systems and production systems, which can happen. And it also helps build the confidence because they can see in these sessions with us that the, the virtual work or the RPA process is doing what it's meant to do. And they can see it processing transactions through in a live production environment. And they can see the results coming out the other side. So it, that helps build the confidence with the customer as well. So they get to a point where we say, right, okay, well, now we can run 100 or 200 or 300, or et cetera, through the RPA process. And it's still, you know, a step-by-step -step process to build up to the, the confidence that we can say, right, here's a six transaction file of 6,000 records, run it through. But you still get these, these odd situations, as Ian pointed out there, that there may be a scenario that just hasn't been identified before. So again, you know, in these early stages, until we iron out these and pick these odd um, cases up, it is always worth having somebody just monitor it in the corner of their eyes and make sure that they're they're getting these, um, they're picking these issues up as we go through. But that's generally how we build confidence, and it and it 
it's working very well, especially with NHS BSA, not only in this particular ESR process, but some of the other areas we're automating for them as well. Indeed, and kind of harsh. Kind of next questions for for you. And once a, a, a RPA project goes live, how do you monitor and work with the partner to ensure everything runs smoothly? And and I guess the second part part of this question is, and on the ESR side of things, and are there any stats to to kind of highlight the the success of uh, of the implementation? Absolutely. Um, so once a process has um, gone live, um, as Simon mentioned, um, we would start off small uh, first. You know, uh, run through only a few records. Uh, let's say, for example, we start with two records, and slowly build up from there, and and go up to hundred, and then slowly go up to thousand records. Um, so that way, you know, it gives an opportunity to NHS BSA as an organization. Uh, to ratify uh, the results from automation, uh, whether it is doing what it is expected to do. Uh, and you know, once a confidence has been built, uh, the number of checks that they would uh, usually do at the beginning of go live would slowly start reducing as and when more and more number of records get processed. Uh, so that's that's definitely uh, one factors which which would help them you know help them in building the confidence. The other thing which I've noticed is that you know uh, once a confidence has been built, uh, I've seen uh, uh, NHS BSA coming to us and telling us that okay uh, now that we know that RPA is able to uh, uh, automate many complex scenarios for us, so why don't you uh, add in a few more scenarios uh, so that we can automate uh, additional volumes. So, you know, that's that's a level of confidence that has been reached uh, over the past few months that they are now willing to give us more and more complex scenarios to be added to the existing design. Um, so that's that's one bit. And in, in terms of stats itself, uh, we do have uh, appropriate reporting in place. Um, so currently we send out uh, weekly reports uh, to NHS BSA, uh, which tells them, um, you know how many volumes were processed. Uh, what are the benefits which were achieved because of because of the volumes that were processed? Um, how many hours were saved? What was the cost benefit looking like? Uh, what was the capacity of the uh, robot uh, which was utilized? And you know what was the unutilized capacity which you know they can use in the future? So all these kind of stats go out uh, in in form of a, a dashboard Excel report, uh, which gives a good view to NHS BSA to see, okay, uh, this is where uh, uh, the current benefits are. Uh, This is where the utilization is. Uh, What more can we do or what more we can't do uh, with with the current benefits and current utilization? So it gives them a good picture and, you know, helps them decide the way forward. If I can just put some numbers to that. So with ESR specifically, uh, we went, uh, we started going, doing the control go live from mid-October and uh, in 2020 and basically up to middle of December, so a six to eight week period, we, we processed well over 40,000 transactions, which would normally have taken a trust that would not be, that has to do the work, normally would have taken them 99 days to do this work. For NHS BSA to do, to process those transactions in the original way they do this, would have taken them 31 days. The RPA process, because it can run 24 seven unattended, we took 21 days. So effectively, we're saving the NHS BSA team 
specifically about 130, 140 hours worth of monitoring time and attended um, upload time. So there's a significant amount of time just in such a short period of, of processing since the middle of October. And that's now ongoing, moving forward into this year already. We've started processing a number of transactions for some of our other processes we've automated for them as well. Fantastic. Some impressive numbers there, Simon. So, so thanks for that. Just to, to wrap up the conversation, what's next for this project and, and the wider uh, RPA partnership with, uh, with NHS BSA? Well, um, we are continuing to work with NHS BSA to identify more processes. We're doing a lot of work with their pensions team, looking to automate further processes within that area. Um, they have a system that we are that generates errors, pension errors, which they struggle to keep pace with. They have a, a team of 50 odd people that are currently manually updating and processing these errors. Um, we have already automated uh, and gone live with an automation for one of the error codes and, and caught up with their entire backlog, which we did in about six weeks. We're just about to go live with a, a second error code. And with that one, they have about 30,000 backlog. And then we have a third error code, which is going to be going live um, later this month as well. And again, they have a significant backlog of those. One of the benefits, especially in the pensions area, is they have to do reporting twice a year to report on the status of pensions. Due to the backlog they have, they struggle to meet those deadlines. And one of the benefits of RPA is that you can assign more bots to the work and, and reduce the number of bots as you get peaks and troughs. So initially doing the processing, we, were, we had uh, for pensions work, we had three, three machines working in parallel. We're now going to be increasing that to 10. And during the peak of the year end, we'll be increasing that to 28 machines all working in parallel, processing this backlog and catching up the work so they can do the reporting. So that's just some of the areas we're looking at. Um, we are also looking into other areas within NHS BSA with regards to pharmacy payments. And we're starting to do some work with NHS as well now um, to broaden that out. And this is con in conjunction with NHS BSA to, to broaden that out into doing further discovery work to identify other areas within NHS as a whole um, where, we, where RPA can add potential benefit from an automation perspective, an efficiency perspective, and save NHS a significant number of processing hours moving forward. Fantastic. Exciting times, Simon. And uh, I look forward to hearing more as the, uh, the partnership and, and the work uh, develops. So, uh, Ian, Harsh and, and Simon, thanks for taking the time to, to share your thoughts. Uh, it's been, uh, been a pleasure. Thank you, Austin. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of the Agilisys podcast. If you found this discussion useful, don't miss the last episode where we talk to Ivan Barber from the NHS Business Services Authority and David Booth from the ESR Central team about the transformative impact of this RPA project. That episode can be found at agilisys.co.uk and on Spotify. Just head to the Agilisys channel. Once again, on behalf of everybody at Agilisys, thanks for listening. We hope to welcome you back very soon.